Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. I do want to speak to our young people today, and I'd like to start by asking you a question. And that is if you know the most valuable technology company in the world. Do you know who that, who that is? Which company? It's not Microsoft, but it's not IBM. It's Apple. Do you know how valuable Apple is? Any idea? No, it's not that. Uh, 700 billion, over 700 billion, which is larger than Switzerland's gross national product. It's actually larger than Google and Microsoft combined. So if you took both companies and combined them, Apple's uh, market capitalization is larger. If it were a country, it would be the 55th richest country in the world. It is an extremely wealthy organization. Do you remember the name of the founder? Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs. And Steve Wozniak was a co-founder as well. He did not build this company by himself. He had a vision, and he articulated that vision. And there were others that joined him to help him realize the vision. Now, when when a company is starting up, they don't have money. So one of the things they do, they, they pay a meager salary. It's usually less than what you would get working for somebody else. But they compensate for that by giving you what are called employee stock options, or ESOs. They give you an an option to have equity in the company. Do you you know what a stock option is? Have you heard that? So so can you explain it, stock option? Exactly right. So so let's say I was going to let you start join my company. I'd say I can't really pay you what you're worth. But what I can do is I can give you the option to buy stock in my company. I don't know what this stock will be worth, but I will give you the option, the privilege, of buying stock at 50 cents a share. So you can buy the stock at 50 cents a share. When it trades on the market, it might trade at $50, $100, $150 per share. We don't know. It depends on how valuable the company is, but you will have the, the, the privilege of always buying stock at 50 cents, no matter what the price on the market is. So it allows you to buy the stock and then sell it for millions of dollars if the, if the uh, organization becomes really wealthy. You are not obligated to buy the stock. So I might say, join my company and I will give you 2,000 options. So you can buy up to 2,000 options, uh, up to 2,000 shares in my company. You don't have to. You can work for me and never buy an option. And there's no hard feelings. It's up to you. I'm just giving you that, that privilege. But it's, it's not, there's no obligation. What, the other thing I'll do is I'll put a vesting period on the stock. So you can buy 2,000 shares, but you can't buy them all right away. I'll, I'll, I'll pace it to say you can buy up to 500 a year. So that way I know I can keep you for maybe four years if you see that the stock is becoming more valuable, you'll stay for at least four years so that you can buy that stock at 50 cents a stock. That's called the vesting period. Those original employees 
that joined Apple, that, that saw the vision and, and purchased those shares, today they are billionaires, certainly multi-millionaires, depending on how many options were extended to them at that set price. Michael Scotty was one of these original employees. He was employee number seven, and he was Apple's first CEO. And he invested $250,000 in Apple. And of course, that's again at this very low, low price. So that obviously turned into billions of dollars for him. There's another employee that you may not be familiar with that joined Apple very early. And his name is Chris Espinoza. And what's fascinating about Chris is when he joined Apple, when he bought into Steve Jobs' vision, he was 14 years old. He was still in high school. And he said, yes, I get it. I'll join you. He's still with the company today. So he saw the vision at 14 years old. He is employee number eight. And he's a bit upset about that because he says it's the wrong number. He was actually an earlier employee, but when Michael Scotty was giving out employee numbers, he was in school. So he didn't get his number until he could come to the meeting, and so he got a later number, number eight, although he says he was earlier. There's another employee, one of these original ten, that you may not be familiar with, and his name is Ronald Wayne, Ron Wayne. Like Steve Jobs... And like Steve Wozniak, he was also a co-founder in Apple. So he helped start the company. Why you may not know about him is he decided to sell his stake in the company. In 1977, he sold all of his shares for $1,700. He would be a billionaire today if he held on to them. He knew Apple would be successful He just didn't know how long it would take. And so he didn't have the patience to hold on. And he left. You're in a similar position. You're part of a startup organization. And and the question is, do you have the vision? You have options to be a part, to have a stake in this enterprise. There's no obligation on you to exercise those options. No one is forcing you to be a part of this. You have the privilege. It's up to you. If you want to, you can exercise your options, but there's no obligation. The question is, do you have the vision of a Chris Espinoza, who at 14 years old knew This organization is going somewhere. This organization is going to change the world. And that's what we're asking you. Do you want to join us in changing the world? The world is in trouble. The world needs change. And God is picking a handful of people to participate in that change. You may have heard us your parents, as you're growing up, talk about being called. You may even be wondering if you are called. Your parents may be wondering if you are called. And when we use this term called, we naturally think of John 6:44, which you've probably heard, which says that no man 
can come to me, this is Christ speaking, except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. So you cannot come to Christ, and I cannot come to Christ without the Father's permission, without the Father selecting and drawing us to Christ. And maybe Landon, at this point, if you could come up and join me, that would be great. Landon, if you just could come up here. Landon, can you come up here, please? All right, that's better. Thank you. Let's give him a round of applause. Now, I I don't know what happened there. Landon is usually quite cooperative. Thanks for coming up. Um, But my question to you is, when was Landon called? Is he called now that he's beside me? Or was he called when he was sitting down? What would you say? When he was sitting down. So we mustn't confuse the call with the response. So now that he's with me, I might say, Landon is part of the called. But let's not confuse that with when was he called. Right? So he was called when he was sitting down. Whether he responds or not, that's a separate issue. Now that he's responded, he is with the called. Now, Landon, you have your Bible. Can you read for me 1 Peter 3, and uh, verses 1 to 2? And we've got to say, and it's been said several times already, how proud we are of you and how impressive you are were today with the Bible study. Uh, those are big books, the major prophets. And to just see you guys navigate through the scriptures so fluently is amazing. There are, there are adults who've been in church for decades who can't find Genesis. Uh, not in the church of God, but in other churches. You know, they come to our, our services and we tell them to turn to Exodus or Leviticus and they can't find it. But you're very fluid in the scriptures and we appreciate that. So this is First uh, Peter 3, verses 1 to 2. Okay, great. So that scripture there is saying to the wives that if their husbands do not obey the word, that there's no need for them to preach and nag their husbands. What they're to do is to win their husbands over without the word, through their conduct. So if an unbelieving man is married to a believer, the believer's behavior is the calling. The, uh, the, the believing wife, through her conduct, God is calling the husband, that he may be won over through her conduct. Now, let's look at 1 Corinthians 7, Landon. 1 Corinthians 7. And I think we may have trouble with this in the, in the church if previous associations we've been with have taught us that if someone is in the church, grows up in the church, and leaves the church, they are condemned. I think uh, Pastor Murray, the other day we were talking, said, you know, I just didn't know, do I get to dive into the lake of fire or will I be thrown into the lake of fire? Uh, that's not what we teach. And there's a difference between being called and acting on your calling. But 
If you don't, if you do not have the Holy Spirit of God, you cannot be condemned. If you do not have the Holy Spirit of God, and you have not turned your back on God after receiving the Holy Spirit, you are not condemned. Christ came into the world to save the world, not to condemn it. Now let's read 1 Corinthians 7, and maybe I should get a, a microphone here. Thank you. Great. So 1 Corinthians 7, and verses... Uh, 14, 14, verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. Thank you very much, Landon. Give him a round of applause for his uh, cooperation. Thank you, Landon. So this is a very, very important scripture, and it's speaking about you. So let's make sure we understand this scripture. Going back to verse 13, the woman, the gune, this is the wife, which has a husband that does not believe. So she believes in Christ. She has faith. The husband has no faith. He is an unbeliever. Yet, if he be pleased to dwell with her, she should not leave him. Why? Because the unbelieving husband is made holy by the believing wife. So there's really two categories of people. There's the holy and there's the unholy. And that's it. You're either, as a human being, you're either in a category of people that we call holy, the holy. We, we sang today, uh, the lamb, holy is the lamb. Thank you. Holy, holy, holy is the Lamb. God is holy. And mankind is split into two groups. The holy and the unholy. And what the scripture is telling us is that if a woman who is holy is married to a man who does not believe, that unbeliever is holy. He has no faith. He does not believe in Christ, and yet he's categorized among the holy. For the unbelieving husband, no faith, is made holy by the wife. And the unbelieving wife, she has no faith, is made holy by the believing husband. Or else, your children would be unclean. You children would be in the category of the unholy. There's only two kinds of human beings. Holy, unholy. You would be in the unholy category, but you're not. Why? Because you're children of at least one believer. Whether it's your father or your mother. If the parent is a believer, you are made holy. In fact, it doesn't even say that you are made holy. It just says you are holy. The unbelieving spouse is made holy. The children are holy. You are holy. The Greek is hagiadzo. 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 It's holy. You've heard God is a family. 
God is a family. Family is of critical importance to God. As human beings, we have families because God is a family. And we are made in his image. We are made in his likeness. It's not God's will for families to be broken. This is not God's will. It's not God's will for members of the family to be going one direction and another member of the family to be going another direction. But the most important thing in life, the family cannot share. It's like, let's talk about superficial things, but let's not talk about the most important thing in life. This is not God's will. God's will is for family to stay together. So as you grow up, it is not God's will for you to depart from the faith. God does not want this. God's will is for you to grow up in the faith. If you need time, you say, you know what, I've, I've grown up all my life believing this, hearing this. I don't know if it's true. I need, I need time out. No harm. No foul. You have an option to be a part of this. You are in no way obligated. And if you leave, you are not condemned. But that is not God's will. God wants you very much plugged into your family. And united around the most important thing in the world. There is nothing more important. God wants you united with your family on this. It's not God's will that your family is, is, has the, the mission and the purpose of building faith. And, and you're out destroying faith, either by your words or your example. This is not God's will. This is a family enterprise. God wants us working together. And uh, Sister Jessica, when you called your father, Brother Jan, that is correct. That is absolute correct. Christ the first fruits is holy. And if the first fruits are holy, the lump is holy. And you are part of the lump. You are holy. And so that is absolutely correct. In Deuteronomy, and you're familiar with this, we don't have to turn there. But in Deuteronomy 6 and 11, God tells parents, Deuteronomy 6, I see you turning, wonderful. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 7. He tells parents, you shall teach my statutes diligently, not half-heartedly. So this is to us parents. This is showing God's will. If it was God's will that our children grow up and depart from the faith, God's instruction would be, when you can find, in your spare time, as time permits, kind of mention my name once in a while to your children. Because I really don't care which way they go. But God doesn't say that. He says to parents, you shall teach them diligently, with all effort. Teach my laws, my statutes, my commandments to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And chapter 11, verse 19 says, you shall teach them your children. Speaking of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So, so why this diligence? So that as you grow up, you can turn your back on God. Is, is that the plan? 
Or, or would it make more sense that the plan is that your parents have been so diligent teaching you the way of God that when you come into adulthood, you choose the way of God. It makes sense to you. It, it all comes together. It, it's, it's clear to you. Look at Acts 26. Acts 26, to see how this played out in the Apostle Paul's life. Here is a man that from childhood, his parents were diligently teaching him God's way. When they are in the house, sitting in the house, when they lie down, when they walk by the way, their parents are constantly teaching him about God. And in verse 3 of chapter 26, he says, uh, speaking to Agrippa, especially because I know you, to be an expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. Therefore, I'm begging you to hear me patiently. Verse 4, my manner of life from my youth. I was brought up in this. This is how I conducted myself from youth, which was at the first among my own nation at Jerusalem. All the Jews know this. They all know that I was brought up in this. Now, he was misguided. And Christ had to lead him to repentance. But he did not depart from the faith. He was taught the faith and he held on to what he was taught. So, what is God's will for our children? Look at Malachi. Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2. You remember Malachi, it's the end of the Old Testament, and despite all of the work that God has done with Israel for thousands of years, uh, they end the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, uh, not on a good note. Um, By the time Malachi comes to them, they have all departed from the faith. It's it's an unfaithful community. And in verse 14 of chapter 2, Malachi says to them, you say, why? They're having these curses from God, and they're wondering why. Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth. So these Jewish men, uh, as they came into this land and they saw foreign women, even though they've been married to this beautiful woman, faithful woman for 20, 30, 40 years, they were leaving their wives, their, their longtime wives, and going after foreign women. And they were, they were breaking their covenants with their wives. And so Malachi tells them that God has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, against whom you have dealt treacherously. Your word cannot be trusted. You've become a traitor. You're dealing treacherously with your wife. Yet she is your companion and the wife of your covenant. Again, family matters to God. If we cannot keep our covenant, then how can we believe in him? And his faithfulness to his covenant. And verse 15. And did not he make one? Speaking of marriage, where man and woman come together to become one. Yet had he the residue of the spirit. And why one? Why marriage? That he might seek a godly seed. This is God's objective for marriage. We come together as husband and wife. We have a covenant that we make with one another. God expects us to be faithful in that covenant. And why? So that he might seek a godly seed. He's not going to find a godly seed 
from unbelievers. He's going to find a godly seed with believers. But the believers have to be faithful to their covenant and then diligently teach their children. That he might seek a godly seed, therefore take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. So we might say this is Old Testament. What about today? What about Christian children? What is God's will? Turn with me to Second Timothy and let's look at this. There are, how many people on the planet now? 7.3 billion people on the planet. Most of those people have no idea who Jesus Christ is. Those who have heard the name Jesus Christ have no idea what he taught. As children of a believer, you have been exposed to the true gospel. That exposure is your calling. That exposure is the option that you now have to be a part of this. Look at 2 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 12, where Paul writes to Timothy and says, Yes, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's just the way it is. Uh, Satan, we heard in the opening prayer as well as the intercessory prayer, Uh, Satan is full of hate, and he is exercising that hate, and he hates in particular Jesus Christ and people who are striving to obey Christ. So the scripture tells us all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That hatred is coming from the devil, and it manifests itself in persecution. Notice verse 13. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse deceiving and being deceived. Satan deceives the whole world. You're not deceived. The the whole world is riding that, that backwards brain bicycle that Pastor Murray showed us a couple of weeks ago. They've all they've figured out how to ride that bike. And God is training us to ride a proper bicycle. Why? So that we can train the world how to ride a proper bicycle. The whole world is drunk on self-centeredness. We are learning to be Christ-centered. It's a completely different model. It's hard. We, we fall down trying to learn how to be like Christ. But he's teaching us so that we can teach the whole world. The whole world is deceived right now. But you've been exposed to how to ride a bike the proper way. How to think about others. How to be centered on Christ and not on self. These men are waxing worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. The whole world is riding this backwards bicycle. But you, who've grown up in the church, continue. Don't depart. Continue. Stay with it. Continue you in the things, what things, which you have learned and have been assured of. We we need to be spending our time being assured, so we need to be learning. Parents, we need to be teaching diligently. But then children need to be learning and being assured of, proving it. We can't be learning and then spending our time playing video games and then saying, I- I'm not really sure. 
No. Your responsibility is to be sure. As uh, Deacon Jan said in the Bible study, I, I, you know, I'm, we're happy that we're giving you work to do. This is, a, this is a good work. It's good for you to spend time in this way and be assured. Be, be confident. Prove this. Don't, don't waste your time. And being assured of knowing of whom you have learned them. Verse 15. Notice verse 15. And that from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures. From a child. You have known the Holy Scriptures from a child. Now continue in them. This is the will of God. This is God's will. That you know these things from childhood and you continue in them. And you are assured of them. Which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Second John. Look at Second John. So we see that Paul knew these things from a child from childhood and stayed with it. Timothy knew these things from childhood and stayed with it. God wants you to know these things from childhood and stay with it. Second John. Second John one. Second John one. The elder unto the elect lady. So it's the elder. Who's he writing to? To the elect lady. Is that it? Just to the elect lady? The elder to the elect lady and her children. So if, if he was writing to your mother, he'd be writing to you as well. So it's to the elect lady and her children. You're included. You're holy. You're part of this. Walking in truth. So the lady is walking in truth. Sorry, let me go back. Verse 1. To the, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth. And not only I, but also all they that have known the truth. So everyone who is a believer loves those who love the truth as well as their children. Because you're all holy. For the truth's sake, which dwells in us, notice this, and shall be with us forever. We will never let this go. We will never let this go. We will take this to our grave. Then we will come up out of the grave. And this will be with us forever. This truth that we have. Grace be with you, verse 3, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. Verse 4, I rejoiced greatly. Why did I rejoice greatly? That I found of your children walking in truth. So I did a bit of research and I found your children walking in truth. And that caused me to rejoice greatly. I just, I just love to hear this news. That the children are walking in the truth. This caused me to rejoice greatly. As, uh, and how have they been walking in the truth? As we have received a commandment from the Father. So we receive this commandment from the Father, we teach it to our children, and our children walk in the truth. And now I beseech you, I'm begging you, lady, 
not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. That, that, that really is the objective here. This is what we're all about. We're, we're, we're receiving God's Holy Spirit so that we can learn how to ride the bicycle. And the bicycle is about loving others. We love one another. We love the world. We sacrifice ourselves for others. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment, that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. Notice verse 7. For many deceivers are entered into the world. This is the world that we have to walk in. This is your world. So this, this is the world that you have to navigate. It's a world full of deceivers. So you, you need to ask yourself, are your parents trying to deceive you? Do your, do your parents want to destroy you? Is, is that sort of how your parents think? If I could just destroy my child. Well, you're walking into a world where people think like that. People will sit with you in a Bible study for an hour and then they'll get up and open fire. And you thought that was your friend. Deceivers. Now they may not open fire with a real gun, but their intent is to destroy you. It's to deceive you. And they'll smile. I might be your university professor and look, I'm smiling. And what I'm saying is, there's no such thing as God. God is a fairy tale, and I'm your friend. Aren't I a nice professor? Don't I look nice? Don't I sound nice? There's no such thing as God. I'm trying to destroy you. That's the world that you're walking in. And, and the Apostle John says he rejoices to know that you are navigating this world walking in truth. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Anyone who denies that Jesus Christ, as God, emptied himself of his godhood and became a man and walked in the flesh and died, anyone who denies this is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves. So remember, he's writing not just to the lady. He's writing to her children. And he's saying to the children, Look to yourselves, that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we, the lady, the children, and all those that love the lady and her children walking in truth, all of us, let's look to ourselves, that we do not lose those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Again, it's an option. We don't have to exercise it. Or, sorry, we who have been, have been baptized, we do. We're, we're in. We're all in. But you as children of believers, you have a privilege. You have the option that you can exercise and be included. We do not want to lose this reward. Verse 10, If there come any unto you and do not bring this doctrine... Do not receive him into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. Let me say it another way for you. As you leave high school, and, and we're very proud of you, Andrew, congratulations. But as you leave high school and go into post-secondary education, realize there are deceivers 
and destroyers. And, and as, as the Apostle John rejoices that the children are walking in truth, these intellectual rascals rejoice in destroying faith. Post-secondary education is an atheism factory. Children go in one end and atheists come out the other. That's what happens. And these people are skilled and schooled and very capable in creating atheists. So, verse 10, if any professor, any teacher, any authority come to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your mind. Don't allow him to take up residence in your mind. You have to have a strong mind to go in this factory that is designed to create atheists. You have to go in determined. I'm not going to let them destroy my faith. So you go in and you navigate it. And if they do not bring this doctrine, you don't let them take up residence in your mind so that you can come out the other end with your degree, with the skills you need to make a living, but with your faith intact. If anything, your faith is stronger. Third John. Third John 3. Again, the Apostle John, he's rejoicing greatly. For I rejoice greatly when the the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, even as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Not everybody is like John. Not everybody's like your parents. Your parents have no greater joy than to know that you walk in truth. There are people... They might look like your parents, they might sound intelligent, but they have no greater joy than to know that they've destroyed your faith. We've destroyed another one. And they'll have a glass of wine and say, at the beginning of the semester, this one came in and talking about Jesus Christ, oh, we destroyed her. That's how they'll talk about you, behind your back. Your parents, the apostles, the elders have no greater joy than to hear that the children walk in truth. Go back to 1 John. First John 2 and verse 12. So in 3 John, he was writing to the lady and her children. Here in 1 John 2 and verse 12, he's writing to the children. I'm writing unto you, little children, He's writing directly to the children. Because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Now he's writing to the fathers. I write to you fathers. This is a family affair. God's way is a family affair. It, it's, not an, it's not about individuals. You know, we, we have people sometimes will come among us and they don't understand. This is a family affair. This is a nuclear family. And then it's a congregational family affair. It's not about individuals. So he's writing to the children, and then he's writing to the fathers. Because you have known him that is from the beginning, I write to you young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. 
So you're going to go in this factory, this atheism factory, and you're going to overcome the wicked one and come out with your faith intact. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. What is it, Daniel 7.3 billion people on the planet? They don't know the Father. You know the Father. And so he's writing to you who have known the Father. I've written unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. I've written unto you young men because you are strong. And notice this, young men, and we can say young women as well. You're strong. You have to be strong to navigate this. Satan is all over academia. And they're creating atheists. And, and people who are hostile to God. But you are strong. And the word of God abides in you. This is the only way. This is the only way. If you're just watching TV, playing video games, just kind of hanging out, doing nothing, and the word of God is not abiding in you, you cannot withstand this. You just can't. The, this Bible study that we do, that you're doing during the week, and the Word of God is abiding in you, that's what's going to give you strength. That is the only thing. Satan cannot go up against the Word of God. The Word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Don't love the world, neither the things that are in the world. The world can look nice. I mean, really nice. I think especially to a young person. But it really has nothing to offer. There really is nothing there. There's nothing more valuable in this world than your relationships with God, with Christ, with your family, with your congregational spiritual family. There's nothing more valuable. All of the glitter and gold, it's just that. It's just glitter and gold. We were in, my wife and I were in the palace of Abu Dhabi. That is real wealth. And it's nothing compared to this. In fact, in Qatar, the, the royal sheikh of uh, Palmyra had to run for his life with his family and leave his palace behind. ISIS has now set up headquarters in the palace. They're living like kings. They are kings. You could knock yourself out and amass all that wealth. And what are you going to do when ISIS comes to collect it? You have to leave it and run for your life. What is it? It's nothing. We want treasure that lasts forever. The world passes away and the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abides forever. So it is God's will for you to abide in his word. It's not his will for you to leave the faith. But you're under no obligation to stay. If you get to an age where you're an adult and this just doesn't make any sense to you, it's actually a point of integrity for you to say, you know what, this isn't for me. That, that's actually a manner of integrity. Better that, I think, than to play the hypocrite. Because the scripture tells us that many will turn into betrayers. 
we're going to go through a period that's ugly. And we need to rely on each other. And if you're not checked in, and you decide to get baptized just to please other people, when your life is on the line, if my life is on the line, and I really don't believe this, I'll turn in every one of you. You, you want their addresses? I know their addresses. You want their numbers? You want, I'll tell you everything. Just don't, just don't hurt me. But if I believe this, you do your worst. I'm not telling you anything about my brothers and sisters. I'm not going to break covenant with them. So don't, the, the worst thing you could do is stay in this faith, get baptized, because you think you need to please your parents. It's a point of integrity to say, this isn't for me. So then, what does that mean for us who are abiding in this and we have somebody who leaves it? Well, go to Second Peter. Second Peter 3. And, and this is, notice this, in verse, beginning in verse 3. Knowing this first, this is something, that, it's, it's a priority. This, the, we have to know many things, this is a priority. Know this first. That there shall come in the last days scoffers. Scoffers. They, they're going to laugh at this faith. We're going to say, we believe in Christ. We believe in his kingdom. We believe we're closer than we've ever been. And in fact, we will be closer than we've ever been. It's in the last days, just before Christ returns, there will be scoffers. People who say, ha, 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 you guys are crazy. Fairy tales. Walking after their own lusts. So they don't want, they don't see this vision. They just want their own things. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? Where is it? We've been waiting a long time. We don't see anything, any kind of evidence that he's coming. But notice this. This is their reasoning. For since who fell asleep? For since the fathers fell asleep. The scoffers are children of the family. They're not coming from outside. They may have been infected from outside. But they are part of the family, and they're saying, since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. I think at this point I would ask you, can you, as you use your intellect, can you project forward, we're 2015 now, can you project forward 60 years, add 60 years to your age, 2075, you're intelligent people. Do you think that all things will just continue the way they've always been between now and 2075? I mean, I can hardly see past 2025, never mind 2075. But yet people are saying, all things continue as they were. I mean, you don't have to do much calculus here. Bit of calculation around global warming and what that means. Bit of calculation around overpopulation and pollution. Bit of calculation around 
uh, ISIS and the Islamization of the world. And it doesn't take much to say this is different. I mean, I speak, I speak to my elders, my mother, my aunt. They've been around a while. They've been on the planet a little while. And they're saying they've never seen anything like this. They're saying that this world is a completely different world than they've known. So hopefully we can see things are not continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. And it goes on to say they're, they're willingly ignorant. So what do we do if a child grows up and leaves? Look at Luke 15. What should be our attitude? First of all, the first point of attitude, do not force anyone to be here. If somebody doesn't want to be here, it is not our place to coerce them to be here. That is just wrong. On the other hand, saying you're going to burn in hell, that's wrong. That's actually evil. That's not our attitude. Look at Luke 15, verse 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. So this is a family affair. God wants the family together. This individual said, nope, not for me, went off to a far country, did his own thing. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land. So he did not project this. He says, all things continue as they've always been. I don't see any change coming. And a big change came. Famine in all the land. Didn't project that. Sorry, my my, my mom would always say to me, "Um, you see today, you don't see tomorrow. You see today, you don't see tomorrow. In other words, we're completely blind as to what's coming tomorrow. I I can't tell you this time tomorrow what's going to happen. I can just tell you what's happened so far. So we have no idea what's what's coming except for us. We have prophecy, so we see through a glass darkly or dimly. So he spent all, and then there arose this famine, and he began to be in want. Didn't see this coming. And he went and joined himself. So he had, a lot of, he had a lot of wealth. It was all going his way. And then he was in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And the citizen sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he would have filled his belly with the husks that the swine ate. And no man gave anything to him. And then when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. This is ridiculous. I will rise, I'll go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. So it's not God's will for him to have gone. And he acknowledges, I I was not in the right place. I, I, I sinned before heaven and before you. And I'm no more worthy to be called your son. So there's a humility here. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was a great way off, so was the father sitting there, angry, cursing his son, saying, I I hope he burns in hell? 
Well, we can know what the father was thinking because when the son was a far way off and the father spotted him, how did he react? When he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. This is the heart of a Christian, to have compassion. We, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. We understand this factory of hatred toward God. And when you go in this end, they're going to fill you with their poison. It's going to be very hard for you to come out the other end, faith intact. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I've sinned. Verse 22. The father says to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. And a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to make merry. Now his elder son was in the field. And he came. And drew near to the house and heard the music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's received him safe and sound. And he was angry. So he did not react like the father and he would not go in. So therefore the father came out to entreat him. And he said to his father, these many years I served you and I've never transgressed at any time your commandment. Yet you never gave me a kid. So he went the way of God's will. He did not depart from the way. And he's saying, so I remain faithful. You didn't do anything for me. My brother was unfaithful. And look what you're doing for him. I I just don't get it. Verse 31. And he said to him, son, you are ever with me. I acknowledge your faithfulness. Notice this, all that I have is yours. So there's a difference between the first fruits and the fall harvest. So the son had an option to be in the first fruits where the father says, everything that I have, all of it is yours. He's not saying that to the other son. He's happy to see the other son. He's happy to receive the other, the other son. It's, it's time for rejoicing to receive the other son. But he didn't exercise his option to be part of the first fruits. So we certainly want you to exercise your option to be part of the first fruits. But we're not going to force you. There's no coercion. If you miss out, if you don't exercise your option, you know, I said earlier, there's holy and unholy people. But then we can categorize people another way. We can say first fruits or first of the first fruits, first fruits, and then everybody else. So if you don't exercise your option, the first of the first fruits is Christ. He was a human being. That's him. We are the first fruits. You have an option to be part of the first fruits. If you don't exercise this option, then you're with everybody else. And we will rejoice when you're harvested in the fall harvest. 
we will have a feast of tabernacles to celebrate your conversion in the fall harvest. But we would rather that everything the Father has is yours and you're part of the first fruits calling. Proverbs 1, I'm going to ask you to read that on your own, where it's written to young people so that you can know wisdom and instruction, so that so subtlety can be given to the simple. When you're going through this factory, these are really smart people. Some of the smartest people in the world are in this atheism factory. So when you're going through this factory, Proverbs will give you subtlety. You will be able to discern things that even the greatest intellects think they can deceive you with. You'll have subtlety if you study Proverbs. And he goes on to say that wisdom is calling for you and wondering how long you will love simplicity. And then it says that if you do not listen to to wisdom, Verse 24, because I've called and you've refused, I've stretched out my hand and you haven't regarded, you've set my counsel at nothing, uh, I will laugh at your calamity. This is not God laughing. God would never laugh at your calamity. But what Solomon is doing is he's personifying wisdom. And he's saying wisdom is stretching out her hand, calling you. You're not listening. You turn your back on wisdom. And he's saying, you know, eventually you'll realize you need wisdom. And, and it's going to be too late. But look at verse chapter 2 of uh, Proverbs. Chapter 2. God is invisible. Would you agree? God is invisible. Have you seen God? No. Okay, I, I haven't seen God. God is invisible. Because he's invisible, it doesn't mean he's not real. Have you seen air? No. Is air real? I hope so, because we cannot survive without air. And we cannot survive without God. Have you seen your brain? How do you know you have one? If you haven't seen it. I mean, there needs to be a way that we can believe in things that we cannot see. And God is invisible. But... God is not trying to impress you with gymnastics to say, look at me, look at me. Can I get your attention now? Look at me. I can do handstands. I can do uh, cartwheels. Will you believe me now? That's not God's approach. God's approach is, I'm here. You have an option to be a part of what I'm doing. But you have to make the effort to find me. You have to make the effort to find me. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. My son, if you will receive my words, if, you may not. But my son or my daughter, if you will receive my words and hide my commandments with you. As you're going through the atheism factory, hide my commandments with you. So that you incline your air unto wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if. You cry after knowledge. If. I mean, you're going to be set up to cry after many things. New car, the latest version of the video game, the new movie, 
You're being set up to cry after these things. If you're crying after these things, God is not going to do gymnastics to try to prove to you that he exists. It's if you will do gymnastics to find God, then he'll reveal himself to you. So if your subjective experience is, I don't see God, tell me what effort you're making to find him. Because if you're not making any effort, don't expect God to do gymnastics to get your attention. If you cry after knowledge and lift up your voice for understanding, this is important to you. This is a priority to you. You're crying out, I I need to know. Why was I born? Who created me? When will I die? What will my life mean between now and my death? If you cry out for this knowledge, then God will reveal himself to you. But if you're going to put your feet up and eat popcorn and watch TV and say, I don't see God, don't expect God to do gymnastics to prove to you that he exists. If you seek her as silver and search for her as hid treasures, then shall you understand the fear of God and find the knowledge of God. It's conditional. You make the effort. You show that this is important to you. Then I'll reveal myself to you. You make no effort, that's okay. You'll be in the fall harvest. So you can, you can read these passages, uh, a lot of wisdom in here, for the interest of time, we'll, we'll leave that, but look at, um, on your own time, chapters 1 and 2, and part of uh, chapter 3, very revealing, there is a virus, there is a virus in mankind, and you'll find it in Romans 8, there's hostility to God, Romans 8, Verses 6 to 8 show this hostility to God. And so you go into this university and they want to show you scientifically that all of this kind of just happened. There was, you know, 14 and a half billion years ago. I I need to say it like I'm a real intellect. You know, we have measured the universe in 14 and a half billion years ago. It looks there, there was a big bang. And then all of this kind of evolved. And that's science. No, that's not science. That's faith. You weren't there. How old are you? Fourteen and a half billion years old? Okay, so tell me what happened when you, when you were there. Oh, you're not fourteen and a half billion years old. So this is a faith that you have. You're teaching a religion, but you're calling it science. Werner Karl Heisenberg, a great scientist, died in 1976. He is a theoretical physicist, and he's one of the key pioneers of quantum mechanics. His scientific work was revolutionary. And he says this, The first gulp from the glass of natural sciences will turn you into an atheist. He's one of the greatest scientists that's lived in our time. The first gulp from the glass of natural sciences will turn you into an atheist. But at the bottom of the glass, God is waiting for you. This is one of the best scientists of our time. Founder in quantum mechanics. 
So if they're serving you the first gulp of science, it'll turn you into an atheist. But God is waiting at the bottom of the glass. So brethren, or my, my young people, let me conclude by saying this. John Scully, I don't know if you know that name, John Scully. He, he was the vice president of PepsiCo. So in the cola wars, when Coca-Cola was the brand, and John Scully joined PepsiCo, and he made PepsiCo the number one brand. He, he outperformed Coca-Cola, transformed Pepsi, and Pepsi became the choice of the younger generation and, and, and made Pepsi number one. Steve Jobs saw what he did with Pepsi and went out of his way to recruit him to Apple. And he wasn't sure whether he would join Apple or not. He ended up joining because Steve Jobs asked him one question. And he said that question changed everything. The question was this. John Scully Do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugared water or do you want to help me change the world? That, John Scully said, told him that his entire life was at a critical crossroads. And so he made the decision to join Steve Jobs and change the world. Esau, by right of birth, had a covenant with God that was designed to change the world. And he decided to sell it. You, by right of birth, have the option to exercise the privilege of being a part of this enterprise, though small today, promises to be the largest enterprise mankind has ever seen. It will transform into a kingdom that will rule the entire earth and teach the earth how to ride a bicycle. But it needs teachers. And you can't show up not knowing how to ride a bicycle, saying you're going to be an instructor, teaching others how to ride when you yourself don't know. So God is, by extension, simply because he designed it, God says he places us in the body as it pleases him. Because he has designed it such that you are born into a family of at least one believer. All it takes is one believer, and you are holy. You are given stock options that you can exercise and be a part of this grand enterprise. And we just have one question for you. Will you spend your life lusting after the things of this world, drinking sugared water, or will you help us change the world? This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.com.
www.thepeopleshow.org.